This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. First up this hour, we look at cyber trooper activity during the recent state elections. So this is based on analysis that was published on fulcrum.sg, which was about exactly that, uh, increased cyber trooper activity in our state elections, but also increased voter apathy on social media. So this was conducted by uh, Benjamin Lowe, as well as Sarah Ali. And the research looked into how uh, cyber troopers aligned to both the Pakatan Barisan ruling coalition as well as the Paikatan opposition bloc were used to sway voters. And I, I don't think we need to explain or over-explain how this works because at this point we are all, whether we like it or not, old hands in this, right? <laughs> um, cyber troopers have become such a core election strategy in most elections, uh, we see them kind of skittering about even during times of heightened political discussion. So it's not a surprise, I think, that they were employed in this way during the state elections. Some of the most specific findings, though, I thought were interesting. Yeah, so there is a distinction that's made that's important to note because and you've already mentioned it, Lynn, you know, in saying that they were employed. So the idea that cyber troopers or citros, as they're called, are people in the employ of some group. They're anonymous, but they have a definite agenda. The other group that was mentioned in the article that I thought was quite nice was the machais. And the machais, as, you know, Lynn, you explained to me, and I wrongly attributed to to the Tamil community, it's actually, (laughs) is it a Cantonese word? I would think so, yes. Yes, so, um, you know, really uh, refers to hardcore supporters, not in employment, but have a really important role in amplifying messages. A couple of trends that kind of emerged from this research, just very quickly. So they found that uh, PHB and cyber troopers, for instance, mainly operated on Twitter and focused on attacking Parikatan's uh, conservatism, uh, the racist and uh, bigoted rhetoric, as, as they called it. Whereas um, Parikatan cyber troopers operated on Facebook and often focused on what uh, what they termed firebrand characters, people like Sanusi, for instance. Um, and some of the major issues that they tended to highlight, um, particularly in the last two weeks, uh, in the last week before the state elections, one was uh, the PM being at an event with the local PRIU students where Anwar was... Um, thought of as being condescending and rude when responding to an Indian student about the racial quota system. The second was the debate between uh, Rafizi Ramli as well as uh, Shahir Sulaiman um, and about Shahir losing quite badly in that debate. So there were a number of different narratives, of course, that emerged from this. But overall, I think, as you said, Lynn, um, this does paint um, quite a interesting picture of how the even what cyber troopers do online, rather than just posting fake news, as it were, if there's an active crafting of narratives that we're seeing now. Um, we will be back after this with Gayatri Venkateswaran, who is uh, assistant professor with the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at University of Nottingham, Malaysia. But we'd like to hear from you as well. Before you share something on social media, do you check the source? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 789 Tweet us at BFM Radio. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9.
89.9. It's 5.12. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. We're talking about um, an analysis that recently came out on increased cyber trooper activity um, before and uh, during the during the state elections. This was conducted by Benjamin Lowe as well. Uh, this was conducted by Benjamin Lowe and Sarah Ali. Uh, but we are, in a larger sense, trying to understand what the landscape is now when it comes to cyber trooper activity. Let us know before you share something on social media, do you check the source? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Gayatri Venkateswaran, Assistant Professor at the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Gayatri, good to have you with us. Hi, Sharmila Sharad, good to be on the show again. So these recent findings suggest that there is an increase in cyber trooper activity during the state elections. Is this something new or is this just a mirroring of what we've seen before during other electoral cycles? Well, I think the use of social media is something that has definitely grown. And I think that's not you know peculiar to Malaysia. It has already been documented uh, in other places as well. Uh, but interestingly, with the state elections, you know, there was a lot of, um, I, I would say there was a lot of uh, anxiety as well because of, you know, uh, the, the kinds of political competition that was happening. So um, I would I would describe it as uh, something that is very much tied to, say, the kind of narratives that were going around about the state elections. Um, and, you know, they, you know, both, all the factions had something to prove, really. And uh, I would also take it back further to say that actually these are new experiences for a lot of Malaysians, you know. Uh, you know, for so long we've had elections at the federal as well as the state, with the exception of a few that's always been held at the same time. You had party dominance. And so very few people sort of like even had the room to think about, you know, different kinds of governance, right? But we are in an era where this is a possibility. And in fact, the constitution actually allows for it. Uh, but we are navigating that, um, you know, this idea that the federal and the state has to be of the same party, that's no longer valid anymore. Um, so there's a lot of that kinds of new experiences, I think, that also drive some of this, uh, you know, rush to use the uh, the media. So uh, the study is interesting in the sense that it does actually talk about uh, uh, heightened use of cyber troopers, I think, because it's focused, right, because specific states had very specific issues and, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, there were enough to go around, so to speak. Uh, very specific to the states. And I think that the mobilization, um, you know, it did actually refer or, or tie back to what the political parties uh, had as part of the agenda. So you were a part of CIJ's social media monitoring of GE15. Do you find any parallels between what happened during that period and then this analysis of the state elections? With the federal, um, I, I, with the federal elections, uh, the observations that were made at that time uh, came also from certain assumptions, uh, as all res researchers do. You know, we, we have a few assumptions. Uh, and then the focus was particularly on the kinds of narratives that uh, uh, promoted uh, identity politics or, or applied uh, identity politics. Um, I can't speak specifically for the, the trends uh, during the state elections, but with the federal elections, what really came through was, um, you know, the use, uh, not so much the use, but uh, how users online, whether or not they were cyber troopers, um, were actually active in amplifying certain kinds of messaging. So in the case of, say, the anti-refugee uh, messaging, um, you didn't need to see the kinds of cyber trooper activity. It was very much uh, very parochial, very you know organic also, quite a lot of it. And um, I think that is something, uh, a feature that's very interesting that we 
you know, really should pay more attention to because, you know, it's very easy to talk about cyber troopers as though it's such a neatly organized uh, team of people, uh, faction A, faction B. Um, I think we need to move a little bit away from the focus on cyber troopers alone to see, in fact, how ordinary users take on messages and what they do with the messages. Yeah, guys, before we get to that question, which I think is important, uh, the research also showed that uh, Twitter is favoured by Pakatan Barisan cyber troopers, whereas uh, Facebook is generally dominated by Parikatan cyber troopers. What do you think this tells us about who they are trying to reach out to? I mean, you know, it's, um, I think we all like neat categories, <laughs> Sharad, <laughs> but uh, uh, I want to offer a much more complex uh, uh, proposition in the sense that I think with with research, with uh, trying to analyze trends, you know, we actually narrow, you know, we already sort of uh, include and exclude some, and that's very typical of all kinds of uh, analysis. Um, you know, it would be useful to figure out, for example, with the Facebook, which is now tied to say much more conservative Parikatan. Is that only, uh, does that apply to all across the board? Because I do think that actually there are followers of uh, uh, um, Pakatan uh, where there are conservative viewpoints as well that also uh, exist in uh, Facebook. So um, I think the division between, say, PH being much more active in Twitter versus uh, Facebook may also come down to the candidates they have, the political leaders they have, and the instruments that, ha that they have. Um, but I do think that when we do the research, we are also kind of excluding some groups. So I wouldn't necessarily say that that division is in, in fact true of all places, of all ages, of all categories of uh, uh, voters or, or audiences. But I think we just use this as a base to sort of maybe focus the, the analysis on. So I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that I think we have limited tools to look at exactly the entire population of Facebook, because I do think that you have Pakatan uh, sort of uh, followers and fans and, you know, um, uh, party members who are very active there as well. But it might be in different languages that we are actually not looking at. So TikTok, though, has actually been um, highlighted as being the latest platform that has become quite popular. Where does it enter the picture and what does it offer that perhaps the other platforms haven't been able to do? Yeah, I think this, um, you know, when we, we look at the different platforms, uh, I also do think that they are not necessarily separate. I think people populate different pl platforms at the same time and use them for different purposes and maybe use them interchangeably. So with TikTok, you know, the way, the ease in which one can navigate, the ease in, one, in which one can put up content and the fact that it does a lot of thinking for you, much more than, say, Twitter and Facebook does because of the function of the algorithm, makes it a lot more convenient. And I think that that may be an attraction for both the audiences as well as those who are using it strategically. Um, it doesn't take much for you to then get into the space where you're getting certain kinds of information after one or two uh, views, you know. So the design of TikTok itself has such a great appeal that, you know, it's actually catered for entertainment and business. But, you know, in terms of the political content, you know, extremely uh, striking here in Malaysia, actually, the use of TikTok for, for politics. Um, it's the appeal of the, the interface, the use uh, that actually makes it a lot more attractive for, for audiences. And of course, you know, everyone wants to uh, tap into the Undi 18, the, the youths thinking that, well, they are going to be on TikTok or they are on TikTok and that's where we need to be. So the study does indicate that while cyber troopers don't necessarily change opinions, they do further entrench already held beliefs among voters. What are the concerns here? 
yeah, in a way, it's kind of affirming, right? And giving that kind of validation. Uh, so for, for, for audiences, for voters who, uh, you know, have certain uh, beliefs or already uh, alliances, uh, what these kinds of content actually do is to validate those. So that further sort of builds that camps, right? Those who are uh, pro or, or against. And I think it, it really, I mean, it, it is dangerous like, in the sense that, you know, we've been talking about the eco, uh, eco chambers, the bubble effect, all this now seem, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, we haven't gotten beyond that because it is precisely those kinds of uh, clusters that are, are working. But I think that in, uh, you know, with, Again, like with the kinds of political events that we've had, um, you know, a lot more people feel, well, finally, I get a chance to say something, right? When in the past, you couldn't. And so this is an opportunity. But I think that it's about training those uh, uh, opportunities. Um, at the moment, it does seem very divisive. But I would also ask ourselves to, I mean, we, we should actually be questioning who does have more power on these platforms? Who has the ability to actually... Uh, create and put out and 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 sort of uh, uh, you know sort of navigate those uh, conversations more, uh, and I think you might end up with seeing quite a few hands, so to speak. You know, uh, it is not a kind of uh, democratized power. Um, it is still in the hands of a few who have understood that this is how the system works. So it is concerning because it seems that the agenda is actually to divide. You know, um, and that that is something that we need to be concerned about. Yeah, we could extend the question of beliefs to the question of action. Now, you know, to what extent are Citros or cyber troopers, uh, you know, engage in mobilizing target groups or demoralizing, considering that one of the issues for this uh, uh, past uh, state elections was the question of turnout, of voter turnout? Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, elections are very emotional, right? And, And I think we also need to look at how social media functions in other interest areas uh, outside of, of elections. Elections are very emotional. And, um, you know, that's what the, the cyber troopers or uh, political campaigners are, you know, are, are sort of designed to do, which is to sort of take these emotions and, and feed it back uh, in order to, to get that kind of uh, support. I mean, you go to Charamas, you get that kind of uh, tone as well, right? I mean, it's not as though you go for a Charama, you're getting a fact-based objective, unemotional uh, experience. You get that very high charged, uh, highly charged emotions. So with elections, that is indeed what the political communication is all about, right? Um, but, you know, I mean, well, it, 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 I don't think it necessarily reflects or should be the reason for, say, the low voter turnout. There's so many reasons as to why, uh, you know, these are much lower, but you know, if we compare ourselves to many other countries, we've had, we've seen, you know, countries have much, much lower turnout, uh, you know, in the 50s, uh, 50%. So I think we should not sort of like get too caught up in comparing that, you know, say GE15 versus the state election uh, turnout. Because, you know, as I said, it's emotional and reasons for voting or not voting are so many. There are really a lot of reasons. And I think we cannot pin down and say, it is because of the kinds of messaging on uh, social media. So to go back to something you pointed out earlier, you mentioned that um, social media users who are engaging with and amplifying cyber troopers' content are of even greater concern than the cyber troopers themselves. Could you tell us more about this? Yeah, so um, this is also looking from the CIG research on uh, you know, the, the, the identity politics. Um, what we were concerned about is the fact that um, if these are political agents, 
Um, it is, in a way, it is possible to engage if you are really interested in, say, you know, overcoming some of the, the, the racism, the kind of xenophobia, you know, it is possible to target and say, hey, look, you know, these are not, you know, these are not the kinds of uh, narratives that we want for Malaysia. But if it is coming from people around us, our friends, our communities, uh, it's, you know, if it's organic and if it is responding to insecurities and anxieties, then I think we have to do a lot more work to understand where the source of that anxiety is coming from or the, the anger. Um, and we do really need to think about how then do we uh, put out messaging about, you know, much more positive uh, uh, narratives. So, you know, if it's political agents, it's a lot more convenient, right? Say we can target the, the parties and their, their agents and say, look, you know, let's engage in a conversation. Not always easy, I understand. But when it's much more organic, it's a, it's a mass thing, right? Uh, we don't know how big that mass is. Um, and where do we begin, for example, to say, look, you know, these are not fact-based. These are, in fact, uh, misinformation, disinformation. Um, how do we tackle that? So I think as, you know, as someone who is an advocate, someone who is, in, you know, in, in education, you know, we are dealing with a much bigger sort of mass that's exposed and engaged in these kind of conversations, um, it just makes that kind of interventions that are non-legal, uh, I think, a lot more challenging. Yeah. So if we extend that, right, in, in my experience, at least, these conversations or arguments can begin online, but eventually they do make their way into real-world conversations. Um, what can we do when we encounter opinions or arguments that we do know and recognise as deeply shaped by the rhetoric that cyber troopers are pushing, but we're getting this from family and friends? How can we engage with that? Yeah, good question. Very difficult to find the answer. But I would say, Julian, actually, it also originates offline, right? Like, like if you look at some of the ways in which certain in incidents have, have been uh, uh, spoken about online, they do originate in different spaces. So, you know, I, I, I do think that the, the point of origin or the where it goes can always be, be uh, very um, uh, flexible in that sense. Um, and the challenge is, in fact, when, you know, it, it's, it gets on and off the platform, so to speak, and who then shapes that uh, conversation. Because, you know, um, one point about not, you know, the, the role of the social media in trying to sort of, uh, uh, in cases like elections, is that there's always a reconstruction, as we understand even for media. Um, information, data is always reconstructed. And as such, the emotions also get reconstructed. Um, so it is... You know, you started off with the session by saying, look, what do we do when we get uh, some information on our social media or, or WhatsApp? Do we actually check it? It's a simple task. It's a simple ask, but it's a very difficult thing to um, to execute because of the pressures of community, because of the pressures of who we um, are influenced by. And media experience is never an individual experience. It's always a community experience, whether it's friends or family or people like you. It's always influenced by that. And so if we want to think about sort of tackling this, we have to tackle through a community approach rather than an individual approach because media is, in fact, a very community and, and sort of, um, uh, you know, the interpretations come from community uh, presence and, and, and influence as well. We have just about a minute left. Could you tell us what you want to, what would be the main takeaway from all this? Well, you know, with elections, I think we need to understand as Malaysians also to, to uh, grow our own experience, right? Uh, to think about uh, our political life beyond the elections, to think about our political life in relation to others as well. And to, you know, as far as it is possible for political agents and, and other institutions to sort of separate that kind of competitive politics for seats 
and the kind of competitive politics as far as the impact it has on uh, society. So I think we need to grow ourselves and mature in thinking about this not being a zero-sum game, uh, that it is actually constant state of debate, you know, and, and we need to approach our experience in the media uh, similarly in that sense and not to be this kind of, you know, I win, you lose uh, kind of an approach. Gayatri, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Gayatri Venkateswaran, an assistant professor at the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at University of Nottingham, Malaysia, speaking to us about cyber trooper activity post the state elections in a larger sense. Um, how these trends are evolving. So let us know before you share something else, something on social media, do you check the source? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.